This is your host, Isaac Kujo de Noaboa, and this is where I interview people who are trailblazing excellence in different fields and arenas. For the past season, we have been speaking to pretty accomplished leaders um, who are also aged to an extent, um, but now we are speaking to young people, people below 30 who are doing marvelous things on the continent. Do I have with me? someone who I very much respect as a writer. Um, so there's this thing about writing in general that if you consider yourself as a writer, I mean, I guess, no matter how rudimentary my writing is, to see another writer and have respect to is is such a great thing to have. And I, I do give that great respect to this person we are going to interview. So today on the Chit Africa podcast, we are going to interview Ivana Akotoa Ofori, who is a writer, amongst other things, a spoken word artist, I guess, experimental writer, if you if you ask me what she is entirely. <laughs> so, Akotoa, you're welcome to the Change Africa podcast. Thank you. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, why writing is the first question. Why? Wow. Okay. You really went right into it. <laughs> why writing? Uh... I feel like I was made to write. To be very honest, that's that's the perspective I'm at now. I just feel like I was made to do it. There's nothing that I do that feels as... That makes me feel as accomplished. That makes me feel as purposeful. That makes me feel as good about myself, even as a person. Um, yeah, I feel like my answers would have varied... Um, a lot over the years but right now this is where I am I just love it <laughs> so you were just saying that your trajectory has varied what kind of other things were you interested in uh actually what I meant what I meant was that my answer to that question that okay. why writing question would it, it like if you'd asked me that um five years ago, my answer would have been different from four years ago, and it would have been different from three years ago, and so on. Um, but I, I, I don't I don't know that I've been especially invested in any trajectory other than this. Uh, I spent a lot of time being told that writing is just not lucrative and not practical, and that I would never be able to quote-unquote, put food on the table, and I was constantly advised to pursue something that was more practical. Now, I'm not going anywhere near biology because I don't like insides of living organisms. (laughs) I don't understand chemistry. I just, I just, I don't know what to tell you. I just really hated chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) I, I liked physics. I don't know if I liked physics because I liked the actual physical material but i really enjoyed the practicality of it and all the potential for metaphors and i feel like that feeds into why i like science fiction so much because um i feel like physics is the science that is 
most closely related to science fiction and it's the one that fascinates me the most <laughs> so i don't know there's a lot there's a lot of 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 metaphor potential in in physics but um since i was the only science that i liked i thought well maybe it looks like my only option for a quote-unquote practical career is to be an engineer and that did not work out because my heart just wasn't in it and my brain refused to cooperate so <laughs> even though i liked physics even though i'm very capable of doing maths i started failing all of these subjects just because my brain had convinced itself that we don't want to do this so i ended up abandoning that whole engineer trajectory as well by the time i had finished high school and then it was just like you know what i'm just going to write sounds very stupid everyone keeps telling me it's stupid but i'm just going to do it <laughs> and so far how has that worked out for you it has worked out better than everyone said it would to be very <laughs> honest <laughs> some like, people will be very happy hearing this I really mean, you shaming them on the podcast <laughs> they are never going to listen to, to listen <laughs> People, my enemies my enemies are not going to listen to a podcast that i'm featured on like let's be serious <laughs> but no um it definitely worked out better than everyone said it would like by halfway through college i was already earning stuff earning money from writing related things whether that was actually being paid for for a story or um being paid to give talks because of my my um occupation as a writer or to moderate literary discussions or just anything in the literary field or freelancing um and it was just really interesting to me because I don't know, I feel like I kept being consistently told that there was no real money in writing and then here I was making income on writing. I was like, somebody lied. A lot of people lied. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I can see I can see I can see the the crafts paying off for me. So I would say it's working out well. Yeah, but writing is quite a difficult art, you know absolutely yeah. yeah what do you find most difficult to do in writing oh it changes all the time i think like it's it's always so dependent on so many factors like sometimes it could be that so so i'm talking about creative writing right now like fiction writing sometimes it could be that i get the the concept before i get the plot and i can't really do anything with the concepts because i don't have a plot i don't know what happens in the story i just know that this is the idea for like the setting or like it's like sort of an answer to a what if question like this is not a real example but like what if humans could fly and then the concept is flying humans okay great flying humans but like where's the plot <laughs> like what happens in the actual story that's one of the, the problems with being a um 
for me with being a, a speculative fiction writer because like I can speculate ideas a lot but then turning that into stories the most important part and sometimes it just takes so long to get there um sometimes it is revision because I feel like I need to go through at least four drafts of a story before it is actually presentable <laughs> And that is just very annoying. And sometimes you really just get completely sick of a story after you've been working on it for way too long, especially if it's a longer story. Um, and I guess one of the hard things, it's not necessarily about writing, like the craft itself, but it's about the industry. The industry moves very slowly. So, um... Things that I wrote in 2018 are not going to see the light of day until like 2022. Um, and so what it does is like to have a career in writing um, in the professional industry, you probably need to be constantly working like all the time because what you did, what you are doing right now, is not going to properly pay off until maybe several years from now when the thing actually gets published. And in the meantime, you're going to want to be investing in that future. Right now, I'm reaping benefits of things that I wrote three plus years ago. <laughs> and so sometimes, although you can be being productive, it can feel like a drought because... There's a period where nobody's really hearing anything from you. Everyone's like, hey, when, when are we going to read something? And so on and so forth. And everyone is just holding your work because the industry is just very slow. So I'm going to ask you this question because it's a question that when I think about writing, I think about it a lot. Truth and like the perspective of what about truth means to you. I think that truth holds a very central theme in writing and one of the most difficult things in doing writing is to make sure that you are putting your truth into that process but also means that being introspective enough to find out what that truth is do you feel like that and how does that conundrum what does that do to your inability or ability to put out stories and express your truth through it oh very interesting question uh truth are you referring to fiction non-fiction actually i'm referring genre? to any genre you write because the thing is that even with fiction if you look very closely to whatever you write you see yourself or a representation of some things you believe in it hmm i I'm going to to kind of complicate the the premise of your question. I I think I prioritize honesty over truth. Okay. So truth truth exists. Truth is um in some senses it's objective. Uh it's 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 a thing that is there whether one wants to acknowledge it or not. But what the the difference with honesty is that honesty can be chosen. You, on, honesty is the, the way one expresses oneself in the most authentic form. Um, and it may not necessarily be the truth. 
So for example, if I am extremely angry at the love of my life and I say, I hate you, it is not actually true that I hate that person, but that is the honest expression of how I'm feeling at the time. And so that's how I express it. Now, I feel like writing is a lot more to do with honesty than truth because it is voluntary expression by an artist. The artist is choosing how to present certain situations. And because of the way humans are, because of the way we, we interpret our feelings and experiences, um, either in person or in writing, that, that always comes out filtered. And I think that fiction writing especially, actually maybe any good writing is very expert manipulation. Because I'd, I never want a reader to walk away from a story not having felt anything. And because I want them to feel something, I know I need to write in a certain way that will evoke certain emotions. And that is a level of manipulation. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think manipulation is a bit in contention with the idea of truth. But if employed well, does not necessarily have to to clash with the idea of honesty. I want my characters to express certain emotions. And so I put this honesty into them that may not necessarily be truth. In the same way as the example that I just described. Like, my characters are real humans in their stories, right? Um, and when I express myself in nonfiction you know, I am a real human. I can tell you exactly how I felt. I have crafted a story to to make you, or to try to make you feel the emotions that I felt. And so I'm filtering that through my honest expression, and my honest expression may not necessarily be the truth. That's a very interesting way to put it. I also want to ask you another question on the role of solitude in, I guess, a writer's career, and especially yours. Hmm. Is that the question? That's the question. (laughs) That's the question. (laughs) The question is, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, The role of solitude. Hmm. I actually would have really liked for you to clarify that question. Like, I'm not necessarily sure what you mean. But what I mean is that... Speak on the theme in general. Yeah. Like, usually... How does this, how do you basically move away from the world or let a story sit in your mind to a point where they germinate into whatever they become? And what does the role of, you know, I'm asking this from the reference point of other writers talking about how solitude plays a role in basically the ideation and formulation of the story. So that's what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think solitude is really important for the crafts in many ways, Um, but not necessarily at every stage, right? So, um, I tend to need solitude the most when I am in the process of developing certain, when I'm in the process of translating ideas into writing. Usually, 
when I am in the process of generating ideas or even um, trying to uh, trying to address like blocks in my stories. What are those things called? Um, um, writer's block. Uh, not necessarily like plot holes. Yes, like okay. when I'm trying to 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 solve like plot holes, like things yeah. that just don't make sense uh-huh. in my plots. Yeah. I thrive on having discussions with people. Mm-hmm. Like I will literally call a friend and be like, "So this is what's happening. I have these aliens and these planets, and da, 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 and I'm just going on and on about all these things that you don't understand because I want to figure out a logical way to solve my usually very illogical plot problems." So community, I definitely value a lot there. And then community is also incredibly um, relevant at the points where you have written something and you want to make sure that it makes sense in like the eyes of a reader. You want somebody's feedback. You want a review before it properly enters the world. People are really useful for that. I like to read my stories a lot to people. But in the in-between, in the parts where I have the ideas and I am translating them to writing, that is the part where everybody needs to leave me alone. If you are talking, I can't concentrate. If you are playing music, I can't concentrate. I cannot... Like, <laughs> it's, it's really at a point where I have to be waking up at dawn every day because... Every the, like the whole world is just too noisy. When I when I need to 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 actually craft the words, I need to be alone. So definitely, I I agree with um, like the the idea that solitude is is important for writers. But in my experience, definitely not for every stage. Um, just just the middle parts, honestly. Okay, why the fascination with spiders? <laughs> spiders. I think I need to craft an elevator sp- uh, elevator pitch for this one because... <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, I've, I've heard you in other interviews say... I mean, people ask the question, why do you call yourself like that? But I want to understand why the particular fascination with spiders. Why the fascination with spiders? I like metaphors. Um, <laughs> if, if, if you know anything about me, you, you, you should know that I like metaphors. And I feel like the spider is a metaphor that I have just decided to attach myself to. Um, I read meaning into it. I um, have pulled meaning from it intentionally <laughs> because I chose it. Um, spiders, spiders, to me, have have come to represent... Actually, let me, let me qualify this. I'm talking about orb weaver spiders at this point. All weaver spiders are what started my fascination with spiders. Okay. So all weaver spiders are the type of spiders that's actually like spin webs, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the representation for me of a self-sustaining artist. The spider is a creature that crafts this beautiful thing this shiny thing this attractive thing this work of art and this work of art is its means of livelihood this beautiful thing literally is able to feed the spider (laughs) because that is exactly how it attracts its food like I just think that is properly amazing. <laughs> like, like I mean, in the animal kingdom, like you have, 
you have this 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 tiny creature that somehow understands symmetry that brings this thing forth from inside itself and just creates this self-sustaining cycle you create it brings food you eat it you use that to create more bring food eat it it's just it's brilliant and it's like it's it's like killing two birds with one stone. I don't know what I'm doing mixing bird metaphors in with spiders, but like, I mean, that is that's the embodiment of wisdom right there. It's like it's self sustainability. It's wisdom. It is beauty. It is expert crafts. I mean, what more could you ask for, really? <laughs> hmm. I see the. I said in the introduction that you are quite an experimental writer because you experiment with different forms of writing. Do you have something that you think you have settled on now? Um, right now, I think that I am most... <sighs> You're not going to hold you to it, so don't worry. <laughs> thank you thank you for that assurance uh right right now i think that uh i'm most comfortable with with the larger speculative fiction genre like um there was a point at which i was best known for being a spoken word artist there was a point at which i wrote more songs than anything so i might have called myself primarily a songwriter at that stage but right now i think that um i'm definitely at the point where it's it's speculative fiction is central to my practice so i think that for now i would say yeah main my main genre would be speculative fiction as a personal commentary i think you should not um you shouldn't abandon nonfiction because I think you're quite great at introspecting and putting out your particular perspective on issues. Thank you very much. I don't, I don't, I don't think that I would ever even be able to abandon nonfiction because <laughs> it did my insight. Like I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know how to explain. Like when I have things that I need to express, especially like. I don't know, complex ideas or just like ideas that I've developed that it feels like people are not getting. I just feel this burning desire to express it. Like, I just want people to understand what is going on in my head. Yeah, without and the so, plots uh, and complexity of writing. Yes, I just, and... I just want you people to, to understand what's happening in my head. Just understand <laughs> the idea, the concept. Just understand the logic, you know? So, I feel like as far as that continues to be part of my personality, this burning desire to make people understand, right? I don't think I'll ever be able to to really abandon um nonfiction. Like but 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 I also don't see it as something that I want to um particularly gain a living from. Like it feels like something that I need to allow for my own sake to keep being free, to keep being this ty- the type of thing that I just put on my blog 
when I feel like it. Like, I don't want to be cornered into that space where it feels like I need to express my thoughts in a certain way because I want so-and-so to accept it and publish it in their magazine and so on and so forth. No, I just want to to vomit it out and I want people to read it. Do you, what do you, how do you express your relationship with words? Um, I ask that because I think personally, my relationship with the words are kind of um, surreal sometimes for me that more than me writing, for example, the writing happens to me. So I want to understand what is your relationship with the words and how do they move from becoming, you know, these lingering things in your mind to actually stories, but basically just words in general, even a stranded um like linguistic stretches you know i would describe my relationship with words as almost different separate from my relationship with stories mm -hmm. i feel like what you just described is more in line with my relationship with stories it feels like so so a lot of the time the stories kind of come to me and then i need to find words in which to express them um i, I feel like this is something i've been saying a lot recent a lot recently but if there was a mythical creature that like thrived on like consuming stories the way vampires consume blood i would be that creature like I see stories and or I hear stories and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> you know, like it makes me stop. <laughs> it you makes me stop. Amazing. It makes my brain start working. You know? <laughs> I'm just like, it's like it's like a, a, I don't know. It's an automatic response. Like I don't really. You know I that would make for an it. extraordinary story. Uh, the... That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like I need to write. I need to write this creature into existence. It's, it's, um... I really do. Klaus from was that um, TV series? Uh, vampire Diaries. Va yeah, no, Vampire Diaries. The, the originals. The originals. Who is, I never watched that show. Yeah, know. but I mean, originals Vampire Diaries almost yin and yang. But I guess any of those major characters from those vampire movies that is fascinated not on blood but on stories feeding stories stories like, it's like... listen <laughs> i need to write this i just need to write it at this point yeah but yeah if you probably I think don't, someone that, listens to the podcast and steals the idea Charlie, they better know us like can you copyright this podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay but but i think that my um my relationship to words is a bit different um that's more it's it's less it's less natural and it's less fluid um i feel like with words there's actual efforts involved um for a lot of the time i'm actually a very lazy speaker um there's there's a lot of of sentences i end with or whatever or when i can't be bothered to find words i just go and say distant and I'm just like using words like this thing way too much because I just cannot be bothered to properly express myself. <laughs> and it's so funny. People call me eloquent and stuff. And I guess, I mean, to some extent I am, but then I wonder how much of it is just them being enamored by my DB accent. <laughs> because 
person says I'm really just incoherent. <laughs> um, but then again, I guess I use words like incoherence in normal conversation, and most people don't. Anyway, it's I, it's, it still feels to me that words are are efforts for me. Like I actually need to go in and find them i need to think about ways to express them and it shows in how verbose i am naturally and why it takes so long to turn um a piece of writing into something that um that i feel is good enough to go out into the world because i will like (laughs) I will try and try and try and try and find the words and then I end up writing too many and then I have to spend the next three hours trying to trying to to turn a whole paragraph into the two sentences that it needs to be in order to say exactly what that whole paragraph said in a mono far way. <laughs> like words are effort for me. Um do you feel I mean, you have been writing, at least in the public scene, as far as I can remember, for close to eight years, right? Um, I do. I haven't been counting. (laughs) (laughs) But people have, in, again, the eye of the public, had the opportunity to see your growth in public. How do you deal with the vulnerability of your expectations of you as a growing artist to be, I mean, from that teenage oh, there is this phenomenon of Anakotoa, but now, as an adult, you are expected to be a writer without a tag, that kind of, I guess, in a way that, I don't know if I should use it, but in a non-patronizing way, people expect you to be a writer and a good one. How do you deal with that? <laughs> um, yeah, like vulnerability and expectation of growth. It's really hard because as much as i seem to give this impression of being i don't know this self-assured person or whatever i haven't grown out of caring or being no not not caring but being affected by how i think people think of me and it feels very oppressive at times. Like someone can say, someone that I respect can say something very sweet and encouraging, right? That, oh, Akutoa is going to write Ghana's great novel or something like that. And instead of feeling um, proud, I guess, that they think so highly of me, I, I start panicking (laughs) like i'm just like oh jesus what am i going to do with all this pressure i just want to run away and hide um like i i i i appreciate the uh i appreciate the investment but i don't do well with pressure (laughs) i don't think i do well with pressure so i mean the best way i can think to handle all of this is to remind myself that the writing or it did my inside and so like regardless of whether people were expecting anything from me or not i would still want to write and i would still write so i should just write 
like it it the, it's i have to develop a strategy for being able to forget that people are looking at me what what did you feel because on the trailer you felt what i would call acceleration at the um hearing of the announcement of now um being part of one of the most prestigious writing awards, the Moreland writing. Um, what did you Ooh. feel? What did you feel? I was astonished. Like, I was properly shocked. <laughs> I, I, so that was like a Monday morning or something that they announced it. And I had checked my email that morning before getting ready for work, but I hadn't seen any emails from Moreland. Because for some reason, the congratulations email went straight to my junk and I didn't check my junk. <laughs> so next thing I know, I'm receiving a text from a good friend <laughs> that says congratulations on the good news. I said, what's good news now? <laughs> like from my perspective, this guy is just texting me some random stuff and I'm just like, are you, are you, is everything all right? I have no idea what you're talking about. A propos of nothing. And then they tell me that I got shortlisted for Moreland. And I'm like, no way. I did not expect it. I truly did not. I did not believe enough to even send the submission in. And the thing that I applied with, you know, they, they ask you to apply with a writing sample. The writing sample that I applied with is something that I wrote from my high school years. It just said, like, five-ish years ago, when I was a teenager and depressed and not really knowing where my life was going. I mean, I don't still know where my life is going, but we ignore that part. <laughs> but... <laughs> But there was just that thing that I wrote about and essentially forgot about. And I'm like, there's no way these people are going to even take this seriously because what the hell was that piece of writing, you know? And so I was really utterly shocked that that had even gotten me a foot in the door. When I saw the statistics, 570-something people, and then I was one of 23 shortlisted candidates, I was like... You cannot be serious. That thing that I wrote that time, no, <laughs> when I was 17 and depressed, that thing that I wrote that time, no, is what has gotten me into the... Like, I just could not fathom the idea that somebody thinks I am worth however many thousands of like, US You actually dollars. don't know the number of thousands? So at first, I don't know how I had registered in my mind 10,000. <laughs> and I had registered it in, in dollars, right? But it turns out that it's actually 18,000 pounds. Which is like 24 something thousand dollars. So like when I was freaking out, I was freaking out about the idea that someone thinks that I am worth giving ten thousand dollars to. Sana is <laughs> even more than it's, like, it's more than double I, that. I, listen, I like I did not know how to fathom it. Like I'm just a confused baby girl sitting there crying <laughs> and someone has thought, 
oh, maybe we should give her 20,000 thousand. Listen, I like, I, I didn't know how to, <laughs> I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to process it. I was like, so you mean I can actually like write in a way that people think it's worth giving money for? Like, are you serious? <laughs> but it was a very affirming moment. Like, I appreciate, like, even if I don't win the scholarship, like, this affirmation is something that is going to remain with me for a very long time. It's just that I am capable and there are people in this world with money who think that <laughs> I am capable enough to be worthy of it. What do you intend to do with it if you win? To write a book. Like, that's the whole <laughs> I know, I know. But what do you intend to do with it? I, I, I don't think I can disclose that at this moment, but I think, I think, I think it's a, it's a very personal, it's a very personal situation, but, but essentially it would go towards me being able to create conditions in which I can actually write the book exactly. because there are real life circumstances that are preventing me from being as productive as I can be mm-hmm. as a writer. Um, and so. Yes, the grants would achieve its purpose if it's landed in my my account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so because I really, I, I'm, really I'm, do I mean, want I'm to produce that story. That you have twelve months of unrestricted access to yourself, and I guess some freedom to just do nothing but write. That 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 is an option. That's definitely an option. <laughs> okay, I wish you all the best. Um, Thank you. You've talked about how you've had, you know, influences like children's stories from Blighton, um, Inedio Carrefour, but what do you actually think about your generation of writers? Who is someone that you admire in your generation of writers? Um, when you say my generation, I'm not entirely sure what you mean. Um, do you mean like my age group or do you mean exactly. like my... Um, I guess cohort. So, I like, mean, you can see no. a certain cohort of both Ghanaian African. Okay, writers. so I was gonna ask, like, is nationality part of, of no, this criteria? No, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm kind of person who looks at things more globally. So uh, the person can be in Uzbekistan if if. <laughs> <laughs> if you I can't even spell that place name. <laughs> uh, so wait, the question is, what what do I think about? my contemporaries or like my I generation mean, who, who, writers. Like, I mean, the more specific question is who in the cohort of writers that you are growing with do you admire and why? Um, hmm. There's a lot of writers I admire whose ages I don't quite know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how far I can... Hmm. How far can I answer this question? I mean, one writer that I am definitely in awe of is Fuikan Tamaklu. Okay. Like, I just... I cannot believe his... First of all, his creativity and his work ethic. Um, I, I feel like, at this point, almost every literary space that has anything to do with Ghanaian writing you will find his name inside. <laughs> like, he is somehow 
on the organizing committee or volunteering or participating or facilitating like i don't know i just like i admire someone who is not only in thoroughly invested in the craft of writing but also in the organization of it i don't i don't think i have as much capacity to engage in both to at least not to the extent that he does but like yeah he he definitely strikes me as someone that i like if i blow i want to blow with him like, yeah <laughs> you know like if people are mentioning like their favorite Ghanaian writers i want to be in the same sentence as him <laughs> i think that's the kind of uh, response i was hoping for so i think one of one of things i'm personally impressed maybe it might not be your favorite um body of work but I like the idea, again, going back to the fascination with the spider, that you reimagined also, more interestingly, in different um, forms of writing, what is really a fundamental Ghanaian um, story, the Kukwanese story. And you did that in a way that I found very fascinating with the podcast and all of that. Why did you do that? And what were you trying to achieve with that? Because, I mean, who sits down and says, I want to first of all write a more 200 plus story, and then I want to make a podcast, basically, you know, reincarnating all these uh, Mamedokno vibes. I think that was very cool. <laughs> Why did you do that? Because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I did it because it's fun. I mean, <laughs> uh, for 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 a long time, I felt. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the 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 short story series, like the on the ceiling short story mm-hmm. series. Yes, you are okay. So the main character Kukwa Anan, like she, that like the the whole. Uh, the first story is about how she is just so annoyed by the idea that the the, the limited idea that uh, for a, a story by a Ghanaian to be authentic or for a story to be an authentic Ghanaian story it has to be a quick one answer story it's like it can't it can't go any further than that it can't be more imaginative like you can't like like <laughs> If an answer is not inside, it's not really Ghanaian type of thing. Like, if it's not folklore, it's not really Ghanaian. But it's... Like, Kukwa is just like... Why? <laughs> like, how can you think like that? You know? And then she just goes around to find out, oh, you know, she is the embodiment of the thing that she is so exhausted of. <laughs> and I feel like I have also been in that space where... um I mean, I have a lot of wild ideas. I'm a speculative fiction writer. That should tell you a lot. And it has felt like I keep being told that, you know, like this is not really a Ghanaian way of writing and so on and so forth. <laughs> and I like, like, no, it's really, it's a meta, it's a meta story, you know. And so I'm just like. Okay, but what if I don't want to tell another quick one as a story? What if I just want to tell my own story? And then I think about <laughs> this person who feels the same way that I do, but suddenly I'll like 
there's a lot of potential in this this concept actually this this whole equality concept there's a there's a lot there's a lot in there so how about I use my frustration with how Ghanaians view Kwekwanase to change how Ghanaians view Kwekwanase <laughs> through Kwekwanase? <laughs> it's just like suddenly, suddenly with the whole revision of the legend, the legend started to become more interesting to me. I wasn't as fascinated with Kwekwanase's stories um as I was growing up because I started to feel like these things are getting very repetitive and I'm not sure what's really happening here. But then when I started to find the patterns, like Kwekwanase is not a hero, he's an anti-hero. I was like, hmm, this is very interesting. What would make what would make people revere such a character? <laughs> you know, and then and then what would such a character be like if they existed in real life? Like 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 why is this the kind of character that Ghanaians like? And so on and so forth. And I was just like, this is very, very interesting. So I decided to represent it. And in representing it, I actually found a renewed love for it. And then turning it into a podcast was just <laughs> Like, it was the natural course of events. Because I was, at like, it just did not, like, as soon as I wrote the first story, I was like, I'm going to write a version of this that is going to be acted. I had never written a play before or a, a, um, or a script, or a script, right? But I just knew that, this is something that I want to tell in the style of how I used to hear it. Because if I can refresh my perception of the concepts, I can refresh my perspective on the storytelling method. And I didn't see why this hadn't been done before. And I thought this is going to be very, very entertaining. And so I just got a bunch of my friends and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, hi, I'm doing this project. You won't understand what it is right now. But I need you to come to the studio and read these lines for me. And I just did it because I enjoyed it. Yeah, because I think it's very groundbreaking. Now you can see a lot of patterns of even grand people in the Ghanaian literary space trying to push more for indigenous stories to be told with old people and all of that. And I think that, um, I don't know if you spark that, but at least from where I'm sitting, you, you did something that nobody was trying to do. And I think that was kind of impressive. <laughs> I don't think that many people even know about the podcast, you know, so I would definitely not call myself the groundbreaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not trying to about like give yourself any laurels, but I'm just trying to say it was different and it was a good thing because you know there are all these um, BBC has this short stories and all of that. Um, yeah, people have, have people have said us. that in the past there were kind of stories like that on um, GBC Radio. I don't know of its um, history. There were, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting that you were trying to revive that and you did revive that. Um, so yeah, I think. Hey, hallelujah. Yeah, in the in, in so far as you did create 
at least you did revive that. It's like people have to follow. I think people really do have to follow um, that trajectory. Um, you don't call yourself a prolific writer, right? You, you, you basically say you're a lazy writer, but then you write a lot. How do you, how do you reconcile that? <laughs> um, I think it's because I associate the word prolific with how many things a writer produces in a short space of time. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I think that's how I understand the word prolific. So, me, for example, I'm a very slow writer. And so I think it's going to be very hard for me to call myself prolific. Once upon a time, I would have called myself prolific because there was a time where I was, like, updating my blog every week or, like, twice a week because there were just all these thoughts in my head and I didn't care so much about how I presented them. I just kind of vomited them out and I'm like, here, internet, here you go. Um, But right now, as I have been learning crafts and teaching myself crafts and the art of pruning stories into what I consider a professional level, I've realized that it takes a lot more time and a lot more effort. And so it's not the same energy that I used to draft a blog post in 15 minutes, revise it once, and then send it out into the world. At this point, I have spent up to like four years on one manuscript and i'm still going you know <laughs> like i i i i can spend about three months on one short story um or even more and I, i've started to write longer stories as well and those also take a lot more time and efforts first to get out onto the page and then to revise to the point where i feel like it's ready to go out into the world um, I feel like there are prolific writers who are also writing really long stories and uh, have that professional level quality and yet are still prolific. Like they are still producing like work after work after work after work. And I just don't feel like I am that person. <laughs> I really don't. I'm just, I'm very slow and it takes me a really long time to finish works. So that's why I wouldn't call myself prolific. How many stories do you write at a time? Or do you set on just one and complete and move to the other? I am usually focused on one at a time, but I switch between projects as and when. Um, so, for example, I might be working on a longer thing, like maybe a novel-sized thing, and then I'm like, mm, I'm tired. And also I have a new concept. So let me go and write it as a short story. <laughs> and then I write the short story. And then I come back to the longer novel length thing. I work on it for a bit. And I'm like, you know what? I have another concept. And I'm tired of this one. So let me go and work on that one. <laughs> and then I start working on that one for a while. Then I realized that, you know, this short story that I wrote... I need to re-edit it, <laughs> then I go back to that and so on. So there's always several works in progress going on at once, but at any point in time, there is one that I am focused on for, say, a period of, like, a few weeks or, like, a month or so. Like, I can't start with one story in the morning and then I'm editing a different story in the evening. That's just, it's, it, like, it's impossible for me. 
Okay. Um, you have, again, even in this podcast, spoken about depression and mental health a lot. Do you think it has anything to do with your writing? Your... Yeah, and I'm 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 sad about that because <laughs> I think there are people who kind of associate me or associate my writing with depression, and to some extent I can't help that because that is a part of my reality. But at the same time, I definitely don't want that to be my defining theme. I feel like. <sighs> I'm capable of so much more than just that and I am also I'm also comedy, I'm also folklore, I'm also weirdness. Um and I want that to reflect in my writing a lot more. I appreciate the fact that I'm able to put this sort of depth and empathy into my characters and into my non-fiction which is about myself that people can personally identify with if they've had similar experiences but i never want that to overshadow what i consider to be the beauty that is abundant in life wherever we choose to look for it or create it so you so yeah i have okay oh i was just gonna say yeah so yeah i have a a, a complicated relationship with that depression theme if you had um say a few days to live and you were supposed to read just one book that you've not read what book could you read hey a book that i've not read and i have only a few days to live It's a very interesting question. <laughs> I don't know how to answer it. What book have I not read that I really, really want to read? It will probably be a very epic book, you know? Um, it would have to be something... Something fantasy. Something very big and fantastical. But it wouldn't be Lord of the Rings. I don't know. I just... I'm not... (laughs) I don't know why I have this mental block against Lord of the Rings. You're not a fan of Tolkien? Um, I really want to be a fan of Tolkien. But I think it was the Fellowship of the Ring that I read that I was just like, why is there so much description in here like i just i want you to tell me the story (laughs) and you're not telling me the story you're describing places and i'm like that's cute but tell me the story (laughs) um a lot of people are going to uh, decimate you after this shelly i don't know what to tell you i don't tell them um ah what would i read what would i read what would i read uh, maybe I would read like the Odyssey or something, the Iliad. Interesting. Um, you basically have to come back from the dead to meet Ryan Writer. Who would you meet? 
Wait, I have to come work. back from the death to meet one writer. Who do you meet? All time. Sorry, I missed I missed the first part of what you said. So let's just put it in another phrase, right? Writers living or dead, if you had the power to resurrect someone and meet it, who would you? Oh, if I had the power to resurrect a dead writer. Yes. C. S. Lewis. Okay. Okay, and it, good choice. It, oh my good gosh, choice. C.S. Lewis. <laughs> that man was a genius. Like, I'm in love with him. <laughs> I just want him to wake up and we will have a conversation about, about the script imagination later. and. Uh, <laughs> sure, about the scripting. Like, yes, we can talk about scripting. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, across, across genre, I'm talking like non-fiction i'm talking um f- like fiction fantasy um essays uh what do you call what do you call um apologetics like the man could write yeah. the man could write and the man could think like i think it's his 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 um like his personality also really comes out in his writing, mm-hmm. you know. Like I read some of his books, and I was just like, "This man is sarcastic AF. Like he's such a savage." <laughs> and I just really want to meet him. Okay. Uh, yeah, C.S. Lewis. Um, that's a that's a good choice. I love C.S. Lewis. Well, who's your all time favorite African writer? All time favorite African writer. All-time favorites. Uh, I have different answers for different things. Like, I have an all-time favorite African book. Okay. And I have a current favorite African writer. Uh But I don't think I have an all-time favorite Okay, so give me the two responses then. Okay. So, my all-time favorite African novel is Wizard of the Crow by Ngugi Wationgo. Hmm. Um, and I, feel I like think he should have won the Nobel this year. Yeah. For which book? I mean, not. I mean, the Nobel is not for a book. It's for like the body of work, you know. Hmm. Yeah. It's uh. Hmm. You have a point. You have a point. No shade to Abdul Razak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no shade. I actually don't know who he is. I'm ashamed to say this, but like I do not know who, who the, the most recent winner. Um. Yeah, I had to also like, Google him. I didn't know him. Yeah, but proud of him regardless. <laughs> but yeah, Wizard of the Crow by Ngugi Wationgo is my my all time favorite African book. Like I I can't recall any book that I have laughed aloud so much <laughs> while reading and which just was an expert's um use of absurdity magical realism and metaphor to describe the state of an african nation as a writer saw it so that's my answer for that side Currently, my favorite African writer is um, Jennifer Nansubuga Makumbi. She is Ugandan, and I think she's absolutely brilliant. She does a lot of things that I want to do, like creating epic novels, um, taking pieces of um, African history and myth, 
and then turning them into stories that span from ancient days until up to modern days and um i think i just really like her work ethic in general um and and i think she works kind of like me she she needs a lot of focus she writes big books i've never written a big book but i feel like when i start writing books my books will be big <laughs> and she's just very much dedicated to doing whatever is in her power in service of the story like she puts she puts she puts the story first she puts the writing first and she comes up with brilliant executions What do you think of Ayukuyama? I think he's great. Um I I also see in him a bit of a um I think cynic might be the word. Um Yeah, and and I guess I'm 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 not sure too much about his actual personality since you know he kind of went recluse and went to go and hide in Senegal for however many years. <laughs> I, 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 one of my things I want to do is go to the hideout and meet him. So if you know anybody who can oh, really? uh, actually do that, yeah. Ah, I, Aisha, talk to Aisha Harunata. She knows where he is. She could probably take you to him. And Aisha comes to Ghana pretty often, so I feel like if you if you found Aisha, you could very easily, you know, find a way to meet Aisha. Yeah. One one of the things I have done a couple of months ago is to one of my um, favorite psychologists in the world is um, Jordan Peterson, and I got Jordan Peterson to send a book with a like cryptic message and all of that to somebody. <laughs> so yeah, maybe I can get something from Ayukama too. Who knows? Shelly, so you're just a miracle miracle worker like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am actually. I am. <laughs> All right. When I want, when I want a personalized gift from a celebrity, I'll just let you know. Um. What is the? F- I I know you're probably going to say you don't, but what story have you written that you love? whether you've published it or not like you laugh so much more than any other fascinated about or something a story that i've written that i really love more than anything else that i've written hmm hmm does that story exist yet (laughs) i mean to date right Definitely speaking, I am pretty sure you're going to write something that, um, because I guess you're supposed to, or you are hoping you would, um, definitely like break new barriers. But to date, oh, I know the story. I know the story that I'm really proud of. Okay, but it hasn't been released yet. I don't know <laughs> what. I don't know what will ever happen to it. But it's a story that's based on the. Uh, it's based on the legend of how the old Ghana Empire fell. Except it's not even like it hasn't even reached there. So I, I, I know the legend of how the old Ghana Empire fell, but then I was like, what were the circumstances that led to 
the thing that would lead to the fall of the Ghana Empire. Like I just I took the story and then I took it back to origins. But I couldn't find the origin, so I made them up. <laughs> and then it, t- it ended up being this, I think it's like 13,000 words. I think the other point is a novelette or something like that. Um, this 13,000 word story that I'm just like, I can't wait for this to see the light of day, wherever or however it sees the light of day. But I'm very proud of that story. And nobody except for my editor has read it yet. Okay. I can see why... Um... You love um, Jennifer's works because I guess it's kind of reaching that level or kind of. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel like we, we write similar stories mm-hmm. or we we are inclined uh, towards similar Have you gotten stories. the opportunity to meet her yet? Speak to her? I, I haven't. The closest I've ever gotten is I was on an IG live in which she she was speaking <laughs> but i don't think i've personally interacted with her okay no so if somebody was trying to buy you a, um, a gift they should probably get to your book from here <laughs> uh, i mean i have one but if you could get her to sign one it would be excellent <laughs> okay you have not done spoken word in some time now um that's not strictly true. I have been doing okay. commissions, okay. but because they are commissions and because it's COVID, what usually happens is that it's either performed in the middle of a Zoom call or it's pre-recorded and then sent to the clients to use for their function or something like that. Okay. What do you love about spoken word? I like making music with sound that is not necessarily music. I like the fact that you can curate an audio experience that is still storytelling but sounds good. Um, it's it it feels it feels like a, a very playful art to me. Um, the the craft of writing for paper is very often it doesn't often take sound into account like because i'm writing for it to be read and not necessarily for it to be spoken aloud i'm not trying to um to make it sound too nice or too clever if i want to be clever i'll probably do it through plots but if i want to be clever in spoken word i would do it through through sound and through metaphor and it's I don't, it's it's quicker, it's punchier, it's more immediately obvious, um, and I like that opportunity to to play with words in a a different medium. Yeah, I think I get you. I think that would be it. This was Akutoa, the incredible Akutoa. I mean, I have enjoyed this podcast trying to like navigate into your mind. Um, <laughs> I just feel like I've been talking a lot, like talking too much. <laughs> yeah, so this has been the Chinese Africa podcast with Akutoa, who is a writer who is hopefully going to win the Miles Morland and scholarship and um, yeah, yeah, g- give yeah. me some part of the money. But yeah, it was great. <laughs> great um, to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming on the Change Africa podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, thank you too.